4: Ronananian. You know, an oil change to me is the foundation of maintaining an automobile. And judging by what I'm seeing in the way that people are maintaining them or attempting to maintain them, I don't think they're doing a very good job.
2: If tomorrow all the things were gone, I'd work for all my life and I had to start again with just my children and my wife. I'd thank my lucky stars To be living here today Cause the flag still stands for freedom And they can't take that away
1: The Car Doctor. If the wrong filter
5: had been installed, would, could that mess up the dipstick?
4: I don't, I don't like to say the word wrong filter. I'll, I'll tell you the story like this. I've run into scenarios where certain filter brands don't retain the original shape of the manufacturer.
1: Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, The Car Doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900.
4: God
1: bless the
4: God bless all our service people, um, those that are here, this generation, past generations, and future generations for all that they do to keep us safe and for those that uh, made the ultimate sacrifice. Um, welcome to the Memorial Day edition of The Car Doctor. A little tough this year. It's always tough on Memorial Day for me personally, on a, on a personal note. Um, uh, you know, it's uh, four years now Uncle Steve has gone, and I always think of him on Memorial Day. I mean, who couldn't, right? I, I think of him a lot during the course of the week, during the course of my day. Here, but uh, Memorial Day is a little different without him, and uh, we're going to try and revive that a little bit today because uh, coming up in the second hour, we've got a great Uncle Steve interview from 2013, um, where I actually called him out about his age, and uh, he got a little feisty with me, and you know, kind of had that "Don't make me old before my time" attitude. He was 90, and I called him 91. Um, Yeah, Tom.
3: You know, we may have some new listeners around. Why don't you tell them who uh, Uncle Steve is?
4: Well, you know, good point. Uncle Steve um, was really my father's brother. He was my real Uncle Steve. He was, um, my father had passed when I was a little kid. I think, uh, you know, if, if you're a regular listener here, you know that. My father passed when I was 11, and um, Uncle Steve then became that father figure, um, in, in in a sense, and, uh, you know, we, we grew close. And, and there was a lot of times, you know, he was that guy that I called and talked to like a dad, and. How do I do this and how do I do that? And you know he had that can-do attitude and I didn't really understand who Uncle Steve was or or what it was about him that you know was the attraction um, until I got older and and I figured it out. it's real easy. once you listen to him, you know he was a he was that he was he was part of that greatest generation, right that World War II generation that we always talk about and refer to in that way. and he was a p51 fighter pilot. He was 19 years old when he went overseas when the war broke out. And um, he was shot down three times. He, you know, had countless stories. I'm questioning whether or not some of them were true now, about especially the one about flying under the Eiffel Tower. Um, although I still think I just, you know, there's a lot of, <laughs> there's a lot of proof that that really happened. Um, but, you know, Uncle Steve was just, he, he was a badass. I mean, we got to say it like that. He just was. He was part of that group. And, um, they, you know, we, we kind of step out of character a little bit every year. And it started out as a simple conversation so many years ago with him just talking about how do they maintain the planes? Because we kind of got mechanically curious. We said, you know, how do they, how do they maintain the planes? Because maintaining a, a, a fighter plane in combat conditions is a whole lot different than maintaining a fighter plane, you know, in, in an enclosed hangar with, you know, heat and, and cool and, 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 and so forth. But they did it, you know, the mechanics did it out in the open in the fields of England, um, you know, Falmere, England. And, uh you know places like that as, as the airfields dotted up and grew up across the grew up across the landscape of England and um, you know Uncle Steve talks a little bit about how you know they were working under mud and rain and all kinds of crazy conditions um and it's just it's just it's a throwback and a reminder of um, I'll, I'll tell you Uncle Steve's matches as it always was every year that freedom isn't free and um, somebody did something and gave up something and made the sacrifice for us to have our freedom and uh, that's, that's, that's a large part of what Uncle Steve's message to us was. So we honor that today as, uh, as we honor all of those um, that have made the sacrifice to put us here. Um, that's Uncle Steve. So anyway, um, gee, I got to gain my train of thought. You know, talking about him gets me going. I was going to open up with this conversation, uh, you know, and this is the Wall Street Journal um the wall street journal had a recent article it was in in the opinion section and i read it with some fascination it talks about electric vehicles speeding ahead on a bridge to nowhere and the subtitle is neoliberals who want to replace the internal combustion engine powered car with evs are living in a fantasy world bold statement right i mean that's sort of a striking but i guess we're allowed to say that after all this country is based on freedoms we're all allowed to have an opinion and um here's an opinion out of the wall street journal that they published and they must have some uh they must have a reason. Maybe it's because there's some truth here. And we always like to look for truth. So I think that's what this radio show is about. Um, the article continues. In the electric vehicle unicorn crash, Alyssa Finley mentions that 434, and I love it when they give numbers because numbers are, you know, it's it's either true or it's not. And I'm going to believe it's true because it's published because I don't think any major newspaper would set themselves up for a a debacle like this, at least not knowingly. 435,000 almost electric vehicles were sold in the U.S. last year. This represents, and this is the thing that gets me, and and I believe this to be true, this represents less than 3% of the 15 million vehicles sold here in 2021. Global lithium mine production reached a record high of 100,000 metric tons last year. 65% was used in electric vehicle battery construction. The other 44% used in lubricant cell phones and things like that. The Electrotech news site estimates that the Tesla Model S uses 63 kilograms, 138 pounds of lithium per electric vehicle, which means that if Tesla used every available pound, listen to this statement, every available pound of worldwide lithium for Model S battery construction, it could produce only 1,040,000 Model S EVs a year. Think about that. That is a bold statement. So, where will the batteries come from? That's my question. Granted, the Model S is a top-end product that requires more lithium than smaller EVs, but the point is simple. Neoliberals, their words, not mine, who want to replace the internal combustion engine-powered car with EVs are living in a fantasy world. To make matters worse, the U.S. currently only has one large-scale active lithium mine in Nevada with two more proposed mines nearby, but the same kind of environmentally woke folks who demand a move to an all EV fleet, or holding up the opening of those two mines in court. Unfortunately, the happy talk that defines the modern Democratic Party also prevails in the EV industry. Russ Andrews, Aspen, Colorado. Um, and you know, and again, they, it, it's going to be—it's a political charge subject, right? And it's—it's and it's going to be. It's just going to continue to get to be that. But there are some valid numbers here, uh, especially the one. This is this is not the first time we've heard this. You know, there was about a half a million EVs sold in the U.S. last year. And that's just less than 3% of the 15 million. And, you know, the numbers don't match. Mark Mills came on and talked about this, right? He talked about how if we wanted to produce so many millions of cars and, you know, the size of the fleet versus what we could actually produce and what we can actually support in terms of manufacturing, never mind charging electrically. And, I, you know, I encourage you to go find this. This is on the Wall Street Journal. It's, made, it's dated May 25th. So it's just this uh, past week. So it's a fresh article. It's a fresh conversation. And um, if you've got any thoughts about it, you want to talk about it, I'm here, 855-560-9900. I'm here to talk to you about it because that's what this radio show is. We're going to talk about electric vehicles. We're going to talk about things mechanical and whatever else your heart desires um, as we continue to push ahead. It was a wild week in the shop. I've got, I don't know if we'll talk about some of the stories. It was, we walked out of there. We were, we were dead tired yesterday. Um, uh, just, just, you know, just a wear you out kind of a week. Uh, a lot of tires lately. Um, you guys are out on the road again, and I think uh, the pandemic is catching up. We've noticed that a lot of tires are dry-rotted and cracked. And we look at the date codes on them, and they are six, seven years old. And it seems that the um, the the great let's rebuild the fleet option is going on. And uh, we're going to talk about that this hour if you want to talk about that too. But right now let me pull over and take a pause. 855-560-9900. The phones are lit up. When I come back, we'll open the garage doors. Don't go away.
0: Just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva, Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store.
3: This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity For the best
1: in car advice, give Ron a call 855-560-9900. Now back to Ron.
4: Hey, let's get over to Dodge and let's get over to Del- let's get over to Delaware and talk to Dodge. Dodge in Delaware, Dodge in Delaware, Delaware and Dodge. Hey, how are you, Dodge? Welcome back.
5: Hey, how are you, Ron?
4: All right, sir. What's going on? What's on your mind?
5: First off, I want to thank you for continually questioning about these ev vehicles the power grid and how it's all going to work cuz i don't hear a lot of vo- other voices questioning this whole green deal
4: thanks man it's it's you know it's hard to do because i take i i'm not complaining i i just i i read my i read the comments and you know i'm taking a lot of flack for it and i just listen i'm just being an american man i'm just expressing my opinion i think i'm entitled and allowed to do that
5: Right? Oh, I got kicked off of Twitter for doing it.
4: Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. So, uh, that's okay. I guess I'm in good company then, you know? So, but, um, and you know, let me state this right now, here and now, for all those that are up there, that are out there that's saying, you know, Ron's trying to disrupt the entire electric vehicle industry. I'm more than willing to put anybody up here that's a proponent for it, for it or against it, let's just talk about it. That's all I'm looking to do. So, anyway, on to your question. What's uh, what's on your mind today?
5: So. Uh, this is what's going on with my car. It's not that important, but what I've noticed is when the, it's been going on for a couple years when the temperature outside gets up in the 90s, and I go I to leave my vehicle, and I turn the A.C. on, temperature all the way down low, turn the fan on all the way high, turn the vehicle off, leave, and then if I start it from in my house, when I go outside, the fan will only be on the lowest setting until the fob gets in the car.
4: So the A.C. won't turn on?
5: I, I think the compressor's running, but the fan always stays on low until the fob goes in.
4: Now, was it was it always like that, Dodge, or you don't remember?
5: It's been like that for a couple of years. I am bizarre about it. When you do it with that, the A.C. off and the heat, the fan is... is when you the fan's on high until you get in the car with the fob.
4: Well, but if you if you set the fan down low before you left the vehicle, or you set the fan up high?
5: I turn the fan all the way up. I turn the AC all the way down because, you know, I want it to cool off. Right. But the, the fan stays on low until the... I mean, like, put this fob into the open window and throw the fob in to see what... And it turns up.
4: Have you, has the vehicle had any software updates in its history that you're aware of?
5: I've gotten the software updates that they uh, contact me
4: about. Okay. Have they done any of them? They have. You know, and I'm going to say that if it's different before versus after or the other way around, I'm going to say that perhaps one of those software updates changed something because obviously the key fob is having an input command causing the system to react differently because there's no there's there's no you know there's no mechanical or diagnostic reason i can imagine if if i were to run a code scan on that vehicle and it had no faults in it and it's it's you know the the conclusion is it's operating as designed and then you'd have to look at what's the design flaw here well software is dictating what's going on and if there was a software change, you know, not all the software updates tell you every reason you're getting that update. All right. Um, right. I, I I don't know what the rationale would be on preventing air conditioning from working while the vehicle's on a remote start. Maybe they're trying to get you out of remote starting it. I don't know. I mean, this could be the black helicopter conspiracy tin hat theory, uh, <laughs> you know, concept here that they, they don't want the vehicle idling that long. Uh, for whatever reason, and, you know, it's just the key fob has to be in the vehicle for it to to work like it you, you want yeah. it to work. Um, you, you know, I well, would... they could just... Go ahead.
5: You know, have you, if the car only idles so long on remote start, it turns itself off anyway.
4: Right, right, right. Um, if it's any consolation, my Suburban does the same thing, but it's done it since day one. If I remote start my Suburban, it will not operate the air conditioning um, uh, until I get in the vehicle and engage it. So, uh, you what, know, and what I'm, is
5: what's the reason behind that? I, I don't get it.
4: I, I don't get it either. I, you know, I'm not sure what they're thinking. I, again, you know, I think they don't want vehicles idling unless you're moving. And, you know, it's it's the whole is it an environmental issue? Is it we're going to prevent fuel economy issues? We're going to prevent pollution. We're going to, you know, um, the, the world doesn't make a lot of sense, Dodge. All right? Uh, you know, you know I, I never even considered that, but you're probably right. You know, you've got to look at, you know, I see a lot of things in the day-to-day, you know, that just make no sense to me about the way we operate things, and um, my eyes are only getting opened wider as I get older, and, and I'm, I'm seeing more and more of the things that happen and why. And, uh, you know, it's. I look back. It's funny. I was thinking this week about the evolution of emission controls, and how emission controls came to be and i think about the nightmares of the of the late 70s and the early 80s when my god everything had a vacuum line to it and just the controls <laughs> and trying to you know trying to do emission controls on a carbureted vehicle man it was like it was like trying to spit into the wind and get it to go in that in the opposite direction it just it just couldn't happen it was just so involved and complex and i look at how vehicles have evolved now in, in terms of, of what they're doing. I had a, um, I had an 5 PT cruiser in the shop this week that had a failure of well I got to tell the story this way. So it was in the shop two weeks ago because it was setting misfire faults and a uh, so it had a p0305 a p0304 misfire on cylinder 4 and had a p0335 crank sensor fault which are kind of, you know, they're, they're sort of same, but they're not. And I couldn't produce any crank sensor issues. I scoped it. I scoped the cam sensor. They both looked great. They were rock-solid signals, both in sync, no difference, no deviation. There was only four degrees of uh, variation in the belt slap, so that wasn't an issue. And, but I could prov- I could prove the misfire problem. I could sit there and listen to it, and I would hear a tick, 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 like there was an external arc from the coil going to ground. And, you know, you get to be at a little bit of a loss because here's a car that's 15, almost 16 years old, and and the technology, and you're used to a newer modern. I started thinking, Ron, you're getting soft. You used to fix harder things than this, back when there were vacuum hoses on carburetors. Long story short, it had a bad coil. I pulled it apart, did plugs, wires, and a coil. Fixed the misfire. Gave the car back to the customer. She's a great customer. Um, she's been with us for years and years and years. And I said, you know, there's this 335 fault for crank sensor that I can't pin down. I, I, I'm i not sure what's going on here. But, I you know, I fixed what I knew was bad. I, I solved the misfire. Take it away. She takes it away. A couple of days go by. The car starts stalling. And it stalls, and it just stalls at random. She gets up to a stop sign, it stalls. She'd call me up, she'd go, listen. And she says, and it cranks funny, which I noticed the funny crank initially when I had the misfire problem, but I didn't have that problem afterwards. And she would hold her cell phone to the, you know, she's got her arm out the window and she's cranking her, woo, woo. And I go, yeah, that does sound funny. There is something weird going on there. So bring it back. She brings it back, I go through it. I tested everything I could under the sun on this car. I couldn't. I couldn't reproduce. I did a. I did a short to power test. I loaded the power signal lines going up to the uh, ECU. I went through everything. I said, you know what? There's something about this that's familiar. It's not a crank sensor. It's a cam sensor. And I ran through my notes from umpteen years ago, and I found the notes I took in class the night where I wrote down where the instructor told us that you'll get a crank sensor fault but it's really not the crankshaft position sensor. It's the camshaft position sensor because they both share a common five-volt line and there's a short to power that's pulling down the crank signal but doesn't necessarily set a cam code. It sets a crank code. And my point becomes the way they write the software and the way they come up with and expect us to diagnose these things just continues to evolve and change. I put cam and crank sensors in if the car's fixed. In your case, it could be in the software, brother, and that's where I would stop to consider what might have happened. Appreciate the call. Till the next time, I'm Ron Anany in the Car Doctor. I'll be back right after this.
0: Just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store.
3: This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global.
4: Welcome back. i the Car Doctor here at 855-560-9900, the Car Doctor's 24-7 phone number. Pick up the phone, give us a call, leave a message. Tom Ray, we'll call you back and get you in the next live broadcast. Let's go over to John in Michigan wants to chat electrics. John, welcome to the show. How can I help you today? Yes,
2: I've heard previous discussions about how prohibitive the costs of electronic cars are and the batteries and all the drawbacks, but I can't think of any technology since the 80s that didn't get better and cheaper. And it has been in the news that Ford thinks they can come up with a battery that charges in a matter of minutes. Um, But I just think of one of the first things I saw in this microelectronic revolution with the digital watches that cost more than $100, and now you can get them for for less than $5 sometimes.
4: And uh, and I couldn't couldn't agree with you more. Uh, Listen, I don't think when they flew at Kitty Hawk... You know, nobody was saying they wouldn't go to the moon. It just, you know, it, it, when we did it in a relatively short time, right, we did it, what, like 70 years later? Um, you know, I, I think you're absolutely spot on. I think things are going to get cheaper and things are going to get better. The question is, is the timetable they've got set up, and, and this is, I'm just asking you this question for your opinion. Um, you know, is it is the timetable they've got set up about you know, phasing out internal combustion engine in some states, a lot of states, by 2030 or 2035, is that feasible? That's only seven years away, or 15 years away. Do you think they can then do it? Then it
2: won't happen. Certainly they'll change their plans. But right. you know, It just seems to me that a certain party ever on Twitter for years has been almost praying for the electric car to fail and ridiculing it and anyone that buys them, and I just think it's stupid.
4: Well, so you think this is you think that you're saying it's getting political already, or it has been political? Oh, but it has been. Right, right. So you're you're, you're blaming. I the, mean, you're blaming the Republicans, is what you're telling me.
2: Being, I'm not saying it, but it, it what a tree hugger, words like that, and what do they call it? The green movement, et cetera. I mean.
4: So let me let me ask you this question. All right. Um, do you own, a, you own an electric vehicle?
2: I can't afford one yet, and I may not be driving by the time I
4: can. Okay. How old are you? 70. All right. So, you know, you don't think you'll be driving in 10 years?
2: I, I'm not sure I'll be alive based on my family history.
4: But... Yeah. I'm sorry to hear that. Uh, listen, evolution and technology is always going to march forward, right? Um you know that article i'm sure you heard the article i read talking about the wall street journal in the beginning and i'm glad you called john i'm glad you had the guts to call because a lot of guys just don't want to talk about this isn't it isn't it kind of bothersome if these numbers are right the article in the wall street journal that there was let's round it off half a million electric vehicles were sold in the us last year that's just 3% of the 15 million vehicles sold here in 21 and when they compare that percentage to the amount of available lithium in current technology it it's they just can't build much more than that. Isn't that sort of bothersome that this whole electric thing is being thrown at us and saying, hey, hey, we've got to do this, and we're going to do this in such a short period of time? But you know, it's kind of like the road to nowhere. We're we're being told here's where we're going, but the bridge ends. Watch out for the detour.
2: Well, I'm glad they're trying and they can change their plans as they go. But we might see a new technology. We you and I don't know about.
4: Yet. Well, we might and we might and we might. So let me tell you from my perspective. Right. Um, The things I hear down in the shop at at, at shop level is some of the scan tools that we've invested in are no longer going to be developed or not being developed any further because the manufacturers have mandated because of this seven-year or 15-year phase out of internal combustion engine. So those scan tools are now being done away with. There's no further software support being added. They don't foresee that they're going to develop any more hardware. There's no need, they say because we'll all be in electric vehicles. You know, we're slowly throwing the switch towards the electric vehicle future. But what if the tracks don't go anywhere? And that's well, the I that's the problem.
2: That situation can be remedied if it in the worst case.
4: Okay. And so your so
2: you're then start making those things again? So Whatever, you, so it's a separate issue.
4: So well, no, wait a minute now. You're saying so if we go if we go 10 years down the road and we've done we've lost 10 years of development of software and scan tools and tooling for internal combustion engine and we switch to EV, you think we can switch and go right back to an internal combustion engine just like I that, that quickly?
2: I'm not in a position to say that, but I think that...
4: But you did say that. I have faith
2: that somehow the the world will go on and or go back to it somehow. Well it will, but... We've w- lived without all that stuff for a long time.
4: Right. And we will go back to it, John, if that's the case. And what but, you
2: have today is going to be obsolete in how many years, anyway?
4: Well, but the point becomes that we're being told already the switch has already been thrown. And you know what? Listen, I've been, I've been an auto mechanic for 45 years. If I wasn't the one to embrace technology, I don't know who does. I, I live with it every day, and so do everybody else out there fixing cars. You know, we're just seeing technology being thrown at us that isn't ready, that there doesn't seem to be viable solutions. And, you know, what do you think about the idea, or the, the, the possibility, what do you say to, you know, where will the power come from? Are, are, I guess you're going to tell me that we're going to charge everything from the sun?
2: I'm not qualified to say anything at all about it, about any of these issues. So. Okay. But the key word you used is seem.
4: Right. Oh. Uh, well, listen, I don't disagree with you on a lot of your points. I just want to see how it gets carried out. If someone tells me if someone tells me this is the future, I want to see how we're going to get there. I want an explanation because I don't have complete blind faith, um, and I think it's our right to question it. So whether you agree or not, that's up to you. Um, you know, but as I said, I'm glad you called. I really am. I'm glad we had this conversation. And
2: who would have believed that a six-cylinder car could get thirty plus miles a gallon? Maybe some of them even get forty. Who would have believed that in, in 1980?
4: Well. Sure, like I said, who would have believed, you know, from Kitty Hawk to, you know, landing on the moon in 1969? Um, you know, it's, there's a lot of validity there. But again, we don't have 70 years. We have seven. All right? And that's the point. We're, we're, we're being thrown a, a technology that we don't seem to be able to embrace. And, you know, I don't get it. As I'm asking you the questions, I've asked everybody the same questions. Where will it come from? And I get the same answer. Don't worry. It's going to happen. You know what? Somebody wrote me and made a an harassing statement about, Ron, you're being closed-minded because, you know, it's, it's going to happen just like, you know, transportation we see out of Star Trek will happen at some point in the future, too. Yeah. Star Trek happened 500 years from now. Um, you know, it's not happening today. So, you know what? If you're going to make an argument for something, you've got to have proof of it. You've got to be able to sit there and say two and two is four. Don't give me the what ifs. Um, But I appreciate the call, John. I'm more than glad to talk to anybody about it. I want to know where we're going. I just I'm looking for information. 855-560-9900. We're back right after this.
0: Just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva, also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store.
3: This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global.
4: Welcome back. Ron Nane, the car doctor, rolling along this hour at 855-560-9900. Let's get over to Elsa in Maine, 04 Honda Civic in an AC problem. Welcome to the car doctor. How can I help?
6: Hi, Ron. Uh, thank you for taking my call. You're welcome. Well, I have a 2004 uh, Honda Civic, okay. and I uh, have been taking care of it in the meantime, you know, getting oil, et cetera. I checked some fluids myself. Uh, I brought it to Midas because and I've been dealing with him with them um because there was noise there is still noise when I started up, and then uh once I get going, it quiets down a little bit, but i when I put my foot on the brake, it's uh quiet, but when I put my foot on the uh speed uh
4: huh. The, gas the pedal. speed, uh, yeah, the gas pedal, yeah, yeah,
6: it makes noise. But in any case, I went there and I told them what the problem was, and I said I need a tune-up because it's been a while. And can you check the air conditioning? Which they did. They tuned it up and they did some engine labor. They decided it was a valve cover gasket set that I needed, right, and a double platinum plug, right. Then the air conditioning. They put a RMFG compressor in. They put a serpentine belt on. They evacuated, purged, and recharged the AC. Right. They put O2 or in, leak dial, system oil. And it's. I I didn't check it in between because I trusted that it was done and it would work. But then when the warmer weather started, which was really recent, it uh, blew hot air. And I tried it several times. So uh, my daughter suggested, you know, Mom, why don't you bring it to VIP? So I was in the neighborhood, went to VIP. They checked it out. I don't know. They checked everything out. I told them what had been done, what had been installed. They did a multi-point vehicle inspection, alignment checks. They checked for, and this is in capital letters, AC leak, A dash leak, uh, C leak detection. And uh, they did some labor. They said everything was fine. But what occurs to me, though, after I had all that previous work done, that uh, they charged me, um, it, it was a second-hand, it was not a new one, um, compressor, I believe.
4: Which, the, 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 the first place, Elsa, right? The first place that you went That's the first to. place. Right. Well, what My, they did was, yeah. from what you're describing, and I assume you're reading off the repair order, what you're describing is they put yeah. a remanufactured AC compressor on the car. So, but but, okay. but but listen. Let's let's get to the chase because it's it's only a one hour show. So let's let's do yeah. it like this. The first place, you know, first of all, did you authorize the replacement of the compressor? Did they say to you, "Hey, Elsa, this is the problem. The compressor is bad," and they put a compressor on it? Did they talk to you about that first? Yeah. Okay. They,
6: yes. Okay. They didn't want to charge me. A uh, $1,000 price, so they had in mind a secondhand one.
4: Okay. Well, it's not secondhand, it's just not a new compressor. A remand means that it was rebuilt somewhere by some outside right. shop, somebody other than Honda. So, regardless, did yep. you go back to the first shop and say, hey, the A.C. still doesn't work, can you take a look at it?
6: No, no but that's my next question to you.
4: Right. Why Why uh, wouldn't you do course. You should do that. I mean... Um, did did they did they recently do the compressor
6: 319
4: so March so so March of this year so less than three months ago they did they did an AC compressor yeah it's listen I wouldn't I wouldn't be I wouldn't be at VIP or anybody else I would be back to the shop that did it look you know have they been your have they been your shop for a while do you have a relationship with them do you feel
6: Yes. Okay. Yes. So but if, I feel that. Yeah. Go it, ahead.
4: If you feel comfortable with them, look, it happens to everybody. It happens to me. I'll put a part on a car. I'll think it's the best part in the world. It's a new part. Um, I've got a great story coming up in the next couple of weeks about a Lexus that we did uh, knuckles and wheel bearings in less than 300 miles ago, and we can't figure out why the bearings failed. The manufacturer can't figure out why the bearings failed. Things happen. You Mm -hmm. know, there's an X file side to the the auto repair business that just makes no sense why things happen. And uh, you've got to Mm -hmm. give them the benefit of the doubt. I would go I would be back there and say, hey, guys, you know, what's up now? You know, is it possible that the new compressor's bad? Sure. Is it possible that there's a leak in the system that they didn't see the first time? Absolutely. But uh, until really? they, until Yeah, absolutely. Listen, it, it could be good on Tuesday and bad on Wednesday. You ever buy you ever buy something electronic and have it fail the day after you bought it? I have, yeah, right it's it's yeah. new doesn't mean good. New means never ever worked in my library, kiddo. So I think before we have a big much longer conversation, I think it's back to the original repair shop ask them to take a look um, you know this is what you know and and start there and see how they handle it. you know remember this auto repair is like a marriage. It's not how great things are when everybody's happy and things are rolling along, all right? It's when there's a problem. How do you work it out and do you resolve it to everybody's satisfaction? Now the heat's on them. Let's see how they stand up. Can they take the heat? You call me back if you need more, Elsa. I appreciate the call. Go get them. 855-560-9900. The Car Doctor's back right after this.
0: the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand the ones with the little umbrella refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting clorox Sentiva, also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store
3: this is it your moment this is your time to make your comeback with purdue global
4: Back, very lively hour, just uh, just a lot of fun this hour. 855 560 9900 is the phone number. Put it away somewhere, you can uh, use it in the following broadcast. Or you can call and leave a message, and Tom Ray will hook you up and put you in the next live broadcast for Elsa from Maine if she's still out there. Um, you know, Elsa, I was thinking about this and uh, I jumped into the Mitchell One Sure Track community website, Sure Track is a collection of, well, real-life stories from the repair shop, things that happen to fix vehicles, and, um, you know, it's it's live from the bays, if you would. It's what's really going on under the hood. And uh, this one is fresh. This one is from May of this year by Nick Taylor. He's the author. Um, he's been with Mitchell One for a very long time. You can check him out at MitchellOne.com. Uh talks about, uh, you know, this is every, every shop's nightmare, right? They were working on a 2002 GMC Envoy, and it talks about the tool... A tool accidentally dropped against the battery and shorted the positive and negative terminals while the vehicle was in for a head gasket repair. After the head gasket repair was done, after they uh, picked up the ratchet that had shorted the positive and negative terminals, the car would st- not start and there was no cranking. They found that the main fuse, a 125 amp fuse in an underhood fuse box, was bad. They replaced it. It's It still wouldn't crank, um, or sorry, it, cr- it would crank. And everything would work at the fuse box, but they just wouldn't allow the vehicle to start. And they were thinking like, oh, my God, was it something related to the ratchet that shorted the battery positive and negative terminals? Of course you'd think that. You had the engine apart. There's so many variables, so many things to look at. It turns out that because of the SureTrack community, everybody chimed in and was talking about it. Somebody suggested, hey, why don't we go through basic power and grounds at the PCM? They did that. They found a bad ground for the PCM that had nothing to do with any of the work that was done, the ratchet that fell against the battery posts. They cleaned the ground, vehicle fired right up, and without the help of things like SureTrack Community and Mitchell One, it just wouldn't have happened. So, Elsa, it could be something unrelated to the AC compressor that they did. Go back and talk to the shop. That's the key. More information at MitchellOne.com, by the way. Till the next time, I'm Ron and The Car Doctor, reminding you, good mechanics aren't expensive, they're priceless. See ya.
0: Zumo Play.